The goal was to make it to home base. You remember that childhood game called Tag? In Tag, there was a designated person who was it. And if you weren't it, you didn't want to be it. And so you would run from the person who was it and try to make it to home base. And if you made it to home base, you were safe. You couldn't be it. You were safe from anyone trying to tag you. Well, we're going to talk about the Lord's heart this morning to provide a safe place. The Lord's heart to give us a home base, a place of protection, free from harm. And we'll see his heart clearly revealed in Joshua chapter 20. So turn there with me, Joshua chapter 20. We are continuing our study through this wonderful Old Testament book. Joshua chapter 20, we'll begin reading in verse 1. We are getting near the end. There are 24 chapters, so we are getting close to the end of this book. I originally planned to preach chapters 20 and 21 this morning, but as I studied this week, it was clear we wouldn't get past chapter 20. So Joshua chapter 20, verse 1. I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, which is truth with no mixture of error. I'm grateful for the Bible this morning. How about you? Amen. Joshua 20, verse 1, the Bible says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we praise your great name. You are the reason that we are here. It's all about you. It's not about us. We want to see your name praised and honored and adored and exalted in our midst. And Lord, we come to this moment expectantly. As your word goes forth, will you accompany the preaching of your word by the power of your spirit? That our eyes might be opened, that we would see and comprehend the truth of scripture, and that we might have the wherewithal to respond to what you show us. Lord, I pray that you would change our lives today. Help us to see, Lord, that your heart is a heart of refuge. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. May Jesus be exalted in our midst, for it's in his name that we pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
book of Joshua divides into four sections, four headings, if you will. The first section is cross over into the land where God tells his people Israel to cross the Jordan from the east into the west to take possession of the land that he was giving them. The second part is take the land. He wants his people to defeat the people living there, to drive them out so they could take possession of that land. The third section is divide up the land where God wanted the land to be allotted to the different tribes of Israel. That's where we find ourselves this morning. And the fourth part of the book is serve the Lord in the land. Thrive in the land that I have given you, which we'll get to shortly. But this morning we are thinking about the division of the land. We've looked at how God allotted different portions of the promised land to the different tribes. And now there are a few couple or a few things that the Lord wants to deal with before uh, we get to the final challenge for the people of Israel at the end of this book. And chapter 20 is about the cities of refuge. What were the cities of refuge? Well, this was God's provision for people who unintentionally took someone's life. Through, through accident, through circumstances, someone died. It was caused by a certain person, but they did not mean for it to happen. They, they were innocent of murder. Uh, they were... Uh, they were innocent, and so the Lord made provision for them to be safe because in this ancient culture, family honor would dictate if a loved one died, then the person who caused it should be put to death. You go and take your vengeance and ask questions later. So if someone in this culture caused someone else's death, they were in real danger from family members of the one who died. Remember, in this day and time, there was no police force There were no district attorneys. There was no system like that in place. So if someone accidentally caused another person's death, they were in real danger. So our Lord has a plan for his people. And he he plans to provide these cities of refuge, which would be a safe place for this person to flee, uh, while uh, the, the details were sorted out surrounding the person's death. If someone accidentally killed someone else, They were to flee to the city of refuge, and they would be kept safe from any avenger of blood. This would give them time to examine the person, to look at the circumstances, to determine if there was premeditation, if there were any motivations there that would move this death from being accidental to uh, premeditated murder. And so if someone was innocent, they would go, and, and the details would be sorted out at this city of refuge. Now, these cities were very important. We know that because they're mentioned in Exodus, they're mentioned in Numbers, they're mentioned in Deuteronomy, they're mentioned in Joshua. So the Lord really emphasizes these cities of refuge. And these cities highlight God's provision of justice for his people. He wanted them to live in an orderly society. So he makes provision for those that caused someone's death accidentally, a provision for them to be safe from any type of avenger. But that's not all that's happening here. This is not just God ordering society. These cities of refuge say something about the heart of God. They communicate to his people and to us that God desires to provide refuge. He desires to provide safety. In fact, Francis Schaeffer, the great philosopher of the 20th century, wrote that the cities of refuge are a strong illustration of the work of Christ. God provides refuge for those that run to Jesus. And these cities of refuge reflect the fact that God 
loves to provide refuge and has provided safety in his son, Jesus Christ. A.W. Pink, theologian of the early 20th century, writes this, When we observe how closely and strikingly the various things said of the cities of refuge point to the Savior, we must conclude that they were divinely designed to foreshadow him. So Pink says these cities of refuge foreshadow Jesus and his work of redemption. And so we're reminded by these cities of refuge that God is a refuge-providing God. And God provides that refuge through His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, As a matter of fact, in Psalm 2, verse 12, it says, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. In other words, pay homage to the Son, recognize the authority of the Son. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. In other words, you don't want to deal with the Son on the basis of His judgment, of His wrath. It goes on to say, Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. He provides refuge, if you will, flee to him. As these six cities were uh, were places that people could flee to for safety, we can flee, the Bible says, to Jesus for safety. It says over in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So it says those that have believed in Jesus Christ, placed their faith in Him as their Lord and Savior, are those who have fled to Him as their refuge. And so, Joshua 20, God provides cities of refuge. In His Son Jesus, God provides refuge. He is a God who has a heart to make that provision for people. So back in Joshua 20, what I want to do is, is I want to point out some similarities between the cities of refuge and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then we'll close the sermon by looking at a couple of differences between the cities of refuge and the person and work of Jesus Christ. So first of all, let's talk about some similarities between these cities and and Jesus, who is our refuge. The first similarity is this, accessibility. Accessibility. Look what it says in chapter 20, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities. There were six of them. And shall stand at the entrance of the gate of that city and explain his case to the elders of that city. So where were the cities? We'll look in verse 7. So they set apart Kedesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they they appointed Bezir in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben and Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them. That anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there. So there were six cities that were designated as cities of refuge. If you notice on the map, these six cities are evenly distributed throughout the nation of Israel. There are three cities on the west side of the Jordan River. 
There are three cities among the tribes on the east side of the Jordan River. And notice the distribution from north to south. They are, they are evenly distributed throughout this piece of land that is about the size of the state of Maryland. So here's the point. Anywhere you were, if you needed a city of refuge, there was one close. There was one accessible. You could get to that city if you needed to get to that city. And so if someone needed a refuge, they were not very far away. Also, in Deuteronomy 19.3, we learned that God commanded there be attention given to the roads leading to these cities of refuge. Non-biblical sources record that these roads were carefully marked. They were repaired and kept in good order. When someone looking for a city of refuge would come to a crossroad, there would be a sign there that said, Refuge with an arrow pointing in the right direction. And so, not only did the Lord uh, disperse these cities uh, in geographical areas that would make sure that someone was close to a city if they needed one, the Lord wanted there to be easy access to those cities. Good roads, good signage to make sure that someone could make it to a city of refuge. And so, these cities were accessible. You could get to them if you needed them. So hey, what in the world does that have to do with Jesus Christ? Well, like the cities of refuge, Jesus is accessible to all that run to him. In other words, if you see your need for Christ, if you see your need for a Savior, you don't have to look long and hard to find him. He is near. He is accessible. Over in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sent out his disciples Uh, On a missionary journey, he gives them instructions as to how to engage the different towns and villages they would come to. He says, when you go into a city or village, you need to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is saying, because I've left heaven, come to earth, coming to seek and to save that which was lost. I have drawn near. Salvation is near. The kingdom is near. All you have to do is believe in the one who saves. And so, just like these cities of refuge, Jesus Christ is accessible to all that run to him. All you have to do is turn to him in faith, and he will be your refuge. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. He's alive today. His salvation is accessible. You don't have to look long and hard. Jesus is there. He's completed the work of redemption. All you have to do is believe. The work of salvation is accessible through Jesus Christ. Refuge is available through Jesus Christ. You know, you think about accessibility, and and some of the businesses in our society have figured out that accessibility is a good thing. My wife and I watched a movie this past week about the founding of McDonald's. It was interesting, and there was a certain gentleman that figured out that if you franchise the uh, product that he learned about from two brothers, that you could have great success if you made that great product accessible to many types of people. Now, there, according to the movie, there's some shenanigans and all that, but, uh, but this man, Ray Kroc, understood that if you made these locations accessible, people would take advantage of them. Think, think about something like Redbox. How many use Redbox for DVDs, for movies? 
Okay, some of you, that's good. They're accessible. They're at the places you go. When, when you go to the store to, to shop, or whatever, there, there's, there's Redbox there. They're accessible. These cities of refuge were accessible. Just like our refuge, Jesus Christ, is near. If you need to be saved, guess what? Jesus is just one prayer of faith away. He's near. So that's the similarity between the cities of refuge and Jesus, our refuge. But secondly, exclusivity is another similarity. Exclusivity. Now look back in Joshua 20, verse 6. The Bible says, He shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. So he's saying, in one of these six cities, the person who is innocent is safe. Now, he can't go to another city. He's only safe in that city. As a matter of fact, Numbers 35 gives us a little more detail about these cities of refuge. And in Numbers 35, verses 26 and 27, the Bible says, If the manslayer shall at any time go beyond the boundaries of his city of refuge to which he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the boundaries of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills a manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. You're only safe within these boundaries of these six cities. That's what God's saying. If you choose to go outside of those boundaries, you're not safe. You are in grave danger. So the Lord appointed these six cities, listen, and only these six cities to be places of refuge. And in a similar way, like these cities of refuge, Jesus is the only one we can run to for refuge. He's the only one we can run to for refuge. When some of the early disciples were arrested for preaching about Jesus. They were brought before the religious leaders over in Acts chapter 4. Peter is making the fence for why they're preaching Christ. He says in verse 12, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In other words, Peter's saying Jesus is the only way to be saved. Why would we talk about anybody else? Why do we preach any other name? It's only in in Jesus that someone is saved. He's, he's speaking there of the exclusivity of Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. Now hear me carefully. Jesus is not a good way to be saved. He's not a better way than another way to be saved. He's not even the best way to be saved. He is the only way to be saved. You, you can't compare him with any other uh, supposed pathway to God because Jesus Christ is the only way to be redeemed from your sin. The, the, the salvation we find in Christ is exclusive. If you were running for your life in this day and time, you couldn't choose any city you wanted. Only the cities that God designated were cities of refuge. You can't choose which pathway you want to take to get to God. God has said that salvation is only found in His Son. Only way to find refuge. And so we see similarities in terms of accessibility and exclusivity. But third, the third similarity is availability. Back in chapter 20, verse 9, 
the Bible says these were the cities designated for all the people of Israel for the sojourner, sojourner or stranger sojourning among them that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. Numbers 35.15 says, These six cities shall be for refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them that anyone who kills any person without intent may flee there. So God is saying this provision of refuge is not just for the Hebrew people. We see here God's desire to provide refuge for those that needed it, even those who were not Jews. Jews and Gentiles could flee to these cities of refuge. You you could be uh, an Israelite, you need refuge, run to one of the six cities. You could be a a stranger, a a Gentile, a non-Jew, you need refuge, run to the cities of refuge. You could be a sojourner, you've come and embraced the God of Israel, you believe by faith that he's the one true God, and you're dwelling among the people of Israel, but you're not a Jew. If you need a refuge, run to the cities of refuge. They were available for all peoples. And like these cities of refuge, listen to me, Jesus Christ is a refuge for all peoples. Anyone from any tribe, any tongue, any language, any ethnicity, if anyone places their faith in Christ, they can be saved. They can experience refuge. Jesus Christ is available for all peoples. That's why we do what we do. That's why we share the gospel in in, in our community. And that's why we go to places in North America and go to the very ends of the earth because we believe that Jesus will be a refuge to anyone who believes in him. Regardless of background, regardless of language, regardless of any of that skin color, Jesus Christ is a refuge to those who believe. It says over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that Jesus is a propitiation for our sins, but not our sins only, but for those of the whole world. Jesus Christ came to down the cross for all peoples to make salvation available to all peoples. God so loved the world. And so, just like these cities of refuge, we see in Jesus' accessibility, exclusivity, and availability. But there are a couple of key differences between the cities of refuge and Jesus, our refuge. Difference number one, unlike the cities of refuge, Jesus is a refuge for the guilty. For the guilty. Turn to Numbers 35. I want, to see, I want you to see some detail given here about who could go to the cities of refuge and who could not. Numbers 35, verse 16 The Bible says, but if he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. If he struck him down with a stone tool that could cause death and he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Or if he struck him down with a wooden tool that could cause death and he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. The avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death when he meets him, for he shall put him to death. And if you push him out of hatred or hurl something at him, lying in wait so that he died, or an enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died, that he struck the blow 
He who struck the blow shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. So here's what the Lord is saying. These cities of refuge aren't just for anybody. If there was premeditation involved, if there was motive or hatred involved, and you took a piece of wood or stone and you caused someone to die, you deserve death. That's what the Lord says here. That's how the Lord organized the nation of Israel on this basis of of justice and and law. So who could go to the city of refuge? Look what it says in the next verse. If he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled anything on him without lying in wait or used a stone that could cause death and without seeing him dropped it on him so that he died, though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood in accordance with these rules. And the congregation shall rescue the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to a city of refuge to which he has fled. He shall live in it until the death of the high priest who is anointed with the holy oils. Here's what the Lord's saying. If you cause someone's death unintentionally, without malice, you're innocent. And this city of refuge is a place for you to be protected from the wrath of a friend or family member. The seeds of refuge were for innocent folks. You know, and it's still true in this day and time that that through negligence, through an accident, you can cause someone else's death, right? Maybe back in this day and time, you'd be uh, in, in some sort of construction, building something, you, you, you drop, a, drop a stone or some implement and it hits someone in the head and they die. You didn't mean that person die, you're innocent. And so you would, in that case, flee to a city of refuge. If you were guilty of murder, the Lord said you deserve to be put to death. Seeds of refuge were for innocent folks. But guess what? Jesus, the refuge, he is a refuge for guilty folks. Which is good news because this morning you're listening to a guilty folk. I don't know about you, but there are some things that God's told me to do through the years I've not done. And there are some things God's told me not to do that I have done. I'm guilty of sins of omission and commission. How about you? Am I the only one in here that has disobeyed God and fallen short of his glory? I know I'm not because the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. We have all rebelled against a holy God. We are all sinners. And here's the reality. Because of our sin against God, we deserve God's wrath. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Death there speaks of the physical death that entered the world through Adam and Eve that we all must face. But it also speaks of the second death. Revelation says the second death is eternal separation from God in that awful place called hell, a place of conscious torment where we live under the unrelenting wrath of God that our sin deserves. Our sin deserves God's wrath. Our sin deserves hell. We are guilty. But here's the good news. 
Jesus saves us from God's wrath because he took God's wrath in our place. 1 John 2, 2, Romans 3. He is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means that he, he took the wrath of God that you and I deserve. He absorbed the wrath of God for us. He took our punishment on the cross. So if we embrace him as our Lord and Savior, his blood washes our sins away. And the wrath we deserve has been taken care of by Christ. So we never have to face God's wrath. Jesus is our refuge. We are safe in him from the wrath of God. That's good news, isn't it? You know, if we said only the innocent get to heaven, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? No such thing as an innocent person. We've all rebelled against a holy God. We all deserve His wrath. And the only place to be safe from God's wrath is in Christ. He saves us, 1 Thessalonians, from the wrath to come. And so, diseases of refuge were for innocent people. Jesus is a refuge for guilty people, and that's really good news. But there's one other difference I want you to see between these cities and Jesus. Unlike the cities of refuge, in Christ we are eternally secure. Now, turn back with me to Joshua 20. I'm sorry, yeah, Joshua 20, verse 6. I want you to see this verse. You may have seen it when we read through it at the beginning of the sermon. But I want you to hi- just highlight this verse in your own heart and mind. Joshua 20, verse 6. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the Bible says, He shall remain in that city, the innocent person, shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. So, if an innocent person ran to the city of refuge, and they were found to be innocent, they were in that city and protected from any avenger of blood, and that arrangement of protection lasted until the high priest who had ultimate jurisdiction died. So what happened next? Well, the Bible says that the person in the city of refuge could return home. Now, the question is this. Was that person still in danger? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say why this provision is in place. Maybe sufficient time has passed, and anyone that has vengeance on their mind, maybe that's died away, or or, uh, maybe they accept that, When the high priest died, the case is closed now. I cannot take my vengeance on that person. We don't know exactly how others, especially the avengers, would interpret the high priest dying. But the arrangement was in place. The city was a place of safety until the high priest died, and then they would leave. I wonder if some folks left looking over their shoulder. I wonder if they left thinking, now that I'm not in the city of refuge... An avenger will see their opportunity and take my life. And surely they were a little bit disconcerted leaving that that place of safety. Maybe, we don't know, but maybe some of these innocent folks had to go back to another city or to that same city and get a new arrangement under a new high priest. 
find protection from someone that wanted to take their life. The Bible says this arrangement was in place until the high priest died. But it's different when you flee to Jesus. Unlike these cities of refuge, in Christ we are eternally secure. It's not a temporary arrangement. It is a forever arrangement. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. In other words, you needed to have a lot of priests because they just kept on dying. So if someone died, you had to have another priest. It goes on to say in Hebrews, But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. You know, Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross for our sin. He was buried. And early on the third day, he rose from the grave, right? So because he's defeated death, he's going to be around forever. He holds his office as high priest permanently because he will never taste death again. It says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, that he has defeated death and is alive forevermore. Hebrews goes on to say, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. When you embrace Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when you you come into a relationship with him, he is your high priest. And for you to lose your salvation in Christ, he would have to stop being high priest. And this verse says that'll never happen. His shed blood will forever be applied to your life. His intercession will continue for you forever and ever and ever. He stands as the one who has forgiven you. You are redeemed. You are in his hand. And you will never lose that position of being in Christ. The innocent person in the city of refuge would think, oh man, the high priest is getting old. He dies. What's going to happen next? We never have to worry what's going to happen next. If you are in Christ, you are forever in Christ. We never have to worry about our salvation being a temporary arrangement. I was saved when I was nine years old. And that salvation that started at nine will continue on forever and ever and ever. If you are in Christ, you are eternally secure because our high priest has defeated death itself and he continues as your high priest and he is able to save you and to save me, the Bible says, to the uttermost. So, cities of refuge, Joshua 20, Temporary arrangements. Salvation in Christ, our refuge, a forever arrangement. That's good news. Here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. Jesus is the only refuge from the wrath our sin deserves. Flee to him. I hope you see in the Lord providing these cities that he has a heart to provide refuge. And it reminds us he has provided refuge, safety in his son, Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus is the only way to be saved from God's wrath. Flee to him. Which leads to this question. I want you to just come in real close for a moment. Have you fled to Christ? Now notice, I didn't ask you if you're a part of a certain denomination, or if you're a member of a church, or if you've gone through some sort of confirmation classes. I didn't ask you about your spiritual heritage, about your parents, your grandparents. You know, your parents can save you a seat in church, they can't save you a seat in heaven. I'm asking you as an individual, have you fled to Christ? Have you fled to Christ? Here's what Charles Spurgeon wrote about these cities of refuge. Wherever there were by roads and turnings, there were fixed up handposts with the inscription upon them to the city of refuge. This is a picture of the road to Christ Jesus. It is no roundabout road of the law. It is no obeying this, that, or the other. It is a straight road. Believe and live. It is a road so hard that no self-righteous man can ever tread it. But so easy that every sinner who knows himself to be a sinner may by it find his way to heaven. In other words, the road to Jesus is not a road for those that think they don't need it. The road to Jesus is a road for sinners who know they're sinners in need of a Savior. And if you will flee to Jesus Christ, turning from your sin, placing your faith in Jesus and His finished work, He will forgive you of your sin. He will enter your life and begin a transformation process. He will reconcile you to a holy God whereby you can call Him Father. He will give you the hope and promise of heaven. He will make you eternally secure. You will be safe in Christ. Safe from the wrath of God. So, have you fled to Christ? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and sing and we're going to give you an opportunity to run to Jesus. I don't mean you have to run down the aisle, but you may want to. And just come to the front and say, Pastor, I need a Savior. And we'll sit down with you and we'll open the Bible and we'll share some verses with you. We'll answer your questions. But we'll point you to Jesus, the only Savior from the wrath of God that our sin deserves. Christian, that eternal question answers. You know that you're in Christ. Are you resting in Christ? Are you rejoicing in Christ? Are you excited about Christ? Do you treasure Christ? Is Christ your all in all? Do you understand how precious it is that Jesus is our refuge? And Christian, are you committed to being that signpost? As someone was fleeing to a city of refuge, there would be signs. Refuge, this direction. Are you committed to being, in our culture, a sign pointing people to Christ? Letting people know that if they run to Jesus, they are safe. It is really 
good news that sinners can find refuge and safety in Christ.